Hello and welcome along to the first ever episode of the Total Fertility Podcast, where we explore the minds of experts from all different walks of life. Our aim is to make your fertility journey just that little bit easier. I am Ed Coates, a fertility specialist and co-founder of the website totalfertility.co.uk, where we connect you to all kinds of resources that will inform you, empower you and encourage you on your way to finding your fertility. I'm really excited to kick off the podcast series by talking to Jenny Osman. Now, Jenny is a science journalist. She's a presenter and author of the incredible book, Conceivable. She's written and spoken about Fertility for Science Focus and BBC Four's Costing the Earth. And Jenny firsthand has experienced the challenges of trying to conceive and the ups and downs of fertility treatments. Jenny has two daughters, born by IVF, and is really passionate about helping you to get a head start in fertility, whatever stage you might be at. I'm really excited to be getting uh, into conversation with Jenny, and I really can't wait to get going. It's going to be an interesting episode. So, Jenny, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ed. How are you? Really good. It's so lovely for you to join us, and I'm um, I'm hoping that we can have a really good delve into what's brought you to this stage of becoming an author of what is a fantastic book uh, uh, that will help so many people in fertility. I'm just so delighted that you've given up some time to, to chat to us about that and to tell us your story. Oh, you're welcome. Can we start by really understanding you're a science journalist, you're a broadcaster, you're an author of, of an incredible book, but, but you also have a very personal story about your own fertility. I mean, the wonderful thing about this generation is that I'm a woman and I can have all sorts of work opportunities and travel opportunities and this and that and so on and so forth. Uh, but the reality is, is then I was a classic case of someone who was very, very busy with work and travel and this and that and so on and so forth, that I d- didn't get around. Well, I didn't meet my husband until my early 30s and I didn't get around to start trying for kids until I was, I don't know, sort of, yeah, mid 30s. And, um, you know, as, uh, as, as you well know, um, older, old, uh, older eggs, let's say, are less robust. You know, they, um, they, you have less of them and your fertility goes down um, quite significantly in 30s and then 40s. So I sort of, I, I wasn't necessarily um, aware of this. Um, I would say it's, it's astounding, really, because, you know, I'm someone, I studied biology at university. I'm a science journalist. And I remember saying this to a friend, actually, um, you know, I, uh, what, people, you know, your, your fertility declines like that. And she said, Jen, I studied biology with you. You know, how do you know, how did you not know that? Yes. Um, but I was so busy with my life. And so, um, and my husband and I were so sort of happy with, with how our relationship was going and, and, and so on and so forth that we didn't start trying to have kids until our, you know, I was 35, 36. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we tried for a, a year or so. And then a friend or my sister or someone said to me, um, you know, maybe you should go along and just, just check with the GP that everything's okay and, and so on and so forth. And I thought, oh, so stop fussing. Yeah, you know, I'm sure, sure it'll be fine. Anyway, um, along we went and uh, we both had tests. Um, and in that time, while I was talking to her, I um, she said, well, you know, maybe we'll just refer you on because of your age, you're slightly older now. We'll refer you on to um, the local clinic, which is very good. Um, it's called the BCRM. Bristol Centre for Reproductive Medicine, 
Um, and, uh, you know, you can, we'll find out the results of these tests and you, you can have a sort of consultation with someone there. And it's probably nothing to worry about. She said, you know, I'm sure we'll have you pregnant in, in, in a few months or within the year, I think maybe she said. Um, and the reality was that wasn't the case. Um, and by the time all test results had come back and so on and so forth, it was probably more like two years since we'd started trying the kids and we, we still weren't pregnant. Um, and I, you know, I'm a, it sounds very arrogant. I'm a fit, healthy person. I don't drink that much. I don't smoke. I used to be a professional tennis player. I really felt like, well, why aren't I getting pregnant? You know, what's, what's wrong? Are we, are we doing it wrong? Uh, are we, <laughs> you know, am I not sticking my legs up the wall? Like you, you know, you, uh, you hear that myth of it'll help you, um, you know, it'll, it'll help the span travel in the right way. Um, and, uh, and I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous, but all these thoughts start going through your mind. Sure. Um, anyway, so I went for my first consultation um, with, along with my husband, uh, to the BCRM, and we had the most wonderful um, doctor, Dr. Chandra Kailasam, and he was amazing in terms of everything he did and how he handled and I'm sure I, I mean you guys are probably very well trained at knowing how to deal with because it's such a personal issue isn't it when someone comes into you and kind of lays their soul bare in a way um, and fertility is such a sensitive issue that um, he was he was fantastic and I, I, I distinctly remember in that first consultation um, the shock I felt when I realized that me, healthy me, was the issue with why we weren't getting pregnant. So I remember Chandra saying to, I remember him looking at us both and he said, right, we've had the test results back for both of you. Um, Jenny, um, let's come back to you. Uh, Max, my husband, um, well, let's talk about your uh, semen sample. So it's been slightly sluggish and this and that, but essentially, you know, it's all, it's all great. Um, and then he turned back to me and he said, uh, Jenny, you've got a low ovarian reserve, which basically means you don't have that many eggs. Um, and that was such a shock. And it does sound really arrogant, but it, I, I couldn't believe uh, I, what I was hearing. And then I, I just remember I was just trying not to cry. I didn't take anything else in from mm. the consultation. And I went out completely, completely sort of dumbfounded by it all. Um, and, uh, you know, and then from then on, we started, um, IVF treatment and we have been incredibly lucky, as you said, Ed, you know, we've got, we've got two young girls, but it's definitely, it definitely was a bumpy journey and a bumpy ride. And, um, <clears throat> you know, we just still feel so lucky to, to have the kids. Um, but it, it, it wasn't always easy. I think that that starting process of, of having those initial thoughts about your fertility and then making that, that big decision to go and speak to someone about it because you'll have had those conversations in your head for a while and then you'll speak to uh, your GP or a doctor or friends but to actually step into a clinic and then actually go as far as having all of the tests it's it's a huge step emotionally for for anybody who's going through it and and I think a lot of our listeners will probably identify with what you've just said there particularly about all those sort of myths that are out there there's so many things out there that you can read on the yeah. internet um, uh, which is where, where I think probably the majority of people will get a lot of their information. I mean, you obviously explained really eloquently there the shock and f of finding out that you had a low egg reserve. When you left that consultation room with Max, how did you begin to piece it all together? And, and it must have been incredibly hard for you. But, but what was your approach? I think I sort of 
let it sink in for a few days and, <laughs> and just kind of um, sort of tried to almost ignore it uh, and, and think, well, because I, I, I do think, and it's, it's a very much the social norms of our society, but it, that you think you probably, as a woman, as a woman, will probably have kids at some stage in your life. Now, there are people who very clearly decide not to, and I completely respect that. But I would say a number, you know, probably a high proportion of women think they will have kids. So when you're told that it's your chances are pretty low, um, it's it's quite a shock. And so I, I think mm. I remember sort of switching off and, and not wanting, you know, kind of not wanting to engage at first. And then the science journalist in me came out and I wanted to find out, you know, I wanted to kind of dig into, well, what is this low ovarian reserve? Why might I have it? Have I, you know, is there any, is there any history of, of fertility, low fertility in my family? Um, and, and what does it mean? And what's our journey going to be? And so on. Anyway, so I, I remember looking around, you know, good old <laughs> you know, um, internet searching, and then thinking, I, you know, I just, I don't, I don't know quite where to look because it's so overwhelming. There's, you know, there's information that the clinic have given us. There's information out there on, you know, from internet searches. Mm. There are a few books, uh, personal stories. There's well-meaning blogs. It was, I, f I found it really overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And I'm a journalist. I'm used to you know, going out there and digging around and kind of extracting the meat from the bones sort of thing. And and I, I, I was really struggling. Um, and then I think I sort of felt, um, and I think something that's a, a good clinic will kind of almost take you under their wing and guide you. And I, you know, we, we, we were lucky in that I do think there was a certain element of me going, you know what, I have quite a lot of faith in science and I'm going to put my you know, put my faith in, in this clinic and, and just go with it. Um, but I, I do think, I think that's a classic thing. And I get asked again and again and again by, um, uh, people who are struggling with fertility or, um, they're going through the process saying, you know, but where, where should I look? What, to, and mm -hmm. you know, I, I will say, well, I, I know I've been there uh, and this is why I've written the book. Um, because I felt like there wasn't, one source i think it has changed since i was you know certainly <laughs> your website is a brilliant source mm. the hfea website so the human fertility and embryology authority is an invaluable website which they've um you know really expanded and so on and um and so i think it has changed but i do think um, that what i felt wasn't out there at the time was a um one place one source that you could go to which had um, the science behind what was happening, um, what to do, literally a step by step of this is what you're going to go through. This is what you should do. This is what you need to be aware of. And also personal stories of, you know, relatable stuff where, you you know, initially when I don't know uh, how, uh, you know, pa other patients feel. But initially, when you go in there and you first start talking, one, about your sex life and two, about reproductive stuff and so on. I mean, I've studied biology, so I'm pretty au fait with all that. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it's, it's all a little bit embarrassing, to be honest. Um, and actually, by the end of the whole process, quite frankly, you're so kind of pragmatic about it all that it, you're so open about it. So anyway, so that was um, that was that was sort of how I got started. Mm. And crucially, 
I was really, really open with friends um, about the fact that we were going to be going through IVF. And I'd also had a number of friends who'd been open with us um, about the fact that they'd conceived through IVF. So um, that was invaluable to me. Now, I fully understand, I fully respect people who don't want to be open about it. And I, you know, can explain why later, you know, I had a failed round where I wished I hadn't told so many people we were trying again. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, it's the inevitable uh, sort of texts that come through of how's it going, you know, any, any news kind of thing. And when you've had a failed round, you are just devastated. You know, you you just, you're at rock bottom and you really don't want to talk to anyone about it. Mm -hmm. um, so I fully, fully respect people being private, um, not wanting to talk about this sort of thing. But personally, for me, it was invaluable. The things that I gleaned from talking to friends, and I mean, we actually went for, because um, we'd heard such good reports about about this one doctor, Dr. Chandra, we, we you know, we specifically asked if we could, if we could be, um, if he could be our consultant. So, um, you know, I, I think there are two approaches to, um, to how you deal with, uh, with it. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I respect people wanting to be private, but I also think it's invaluable to, to, to chat to people, even if it's only a couple of confidants. It sounds as though um, during your fertility journey, I, I, I mean, so many people call it a journey, but it, it is it is that you you know the destination is to try to to to, to create a family, and and it is there's so many ups and downs. It's like it's like running the Grand National. It's like hurdle after hurdle that you have to clear whilst trying yeah. to keep yourself sane, keep yourself working. And people do have such different approaches to it. Obviously, there is that that dynamic between the science journalist, which is obviously in you, and and I guess your husband as well, Max. I mean. How, how did that work as well? Because obviously not everybody will find that, that they do have the same levels of engagement with the process um, in, in, in certainly couples that will be, some people are going through this on their own, of course, but, but going through it as a couple, did, did that ever cause any difficulties or, or what did you have a very open sort of discussion with, with Max about, about things? I would say that he's his parents are from medical background, so he's quite medically orientated as well. I mean, he's a lawyer, but or he works in law, but you know that's the um, he has that sort of brain and that openness about medical issues. Um, I think that, that you touched on it there, Ed, which I think is something that I was very naive about, and he certainly actually I remember when I chatted to him about it for the book, he said he hadn't realised what a long drawn out process of so many steps it was going to be um it is hurdle after hurdle after hurdle and each time and I, again and again i've talked to friends who've been through ivf and this is exactly what they say <clears throat> each time that you um you know you 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 may you sort of progress to the next stage and so on you feel like you're over another hurdle and and it is it's exhausting mm. um and so for us uh, that we talked a fair amount about it i actually think we grew incredibly close through it um and we were very lucky in that we sort of we were both on the same page most of the time i think we we don't overanalyze um slightly we sort of respect uh expert the expertise in a clinic and we kind of handed ourselves over a bit um and i think that's maybe you know him with his parents being from a medical background me for, as a science journalist you kind of trust to a certain extent um that 
the people in the know are going to do their best, absolute best. Um, you know, it's in their best interest to, to help you. Um, what I would say is there were there was the odd moment where we you just came to a compromise, and I distinctly remember when we were signing the consent forms. Um, as to, for example, you know, before before you go through the treatment, how can your embryos be used? Can they be um, any leftover embryos? You know, if you are lucky and you get pregnant and and um, and you don't have a use for those embryos, how could they be used? Could they be used in training? Um, and I was very very happy. You know, coming from uh, having interviewed so many scientists, I, I realised the reason IVF is so advanced as um you know as a as a as a treatment is because people scientists have been able to do research um and uh, people have been able to be trained on 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 techniques and so on um mm. whereas he uh, he's a catholic um and he felt he didn't want um our embryos any you know that that was it he didn't he didn't want anything else happening with our embryos and that was i distinctly remember sitting in the um the meeting with the nurse and the nurse going um now you haven't quite ticked the same boxes on your two forms of consent um do you just want to chat about it or or you know do and i just said no that's fine or whatever and i respected him for that and i said you know if, if that's how he feels that's 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 fine let's go let's go with that because you know quite frankly you are looking for the easiest avenue through this hurdle course and the crucial thing is to keep talking and um, you know if you're going through this with a partner keep talking and keep supporting each other and I uh, most people I interviewed said they felt closer to their partner by the end of the process whether they it was successful or not and that I found very interesting that one lady who I interviewed who um, it just it never worked for them it still hasn't worked and they've been through numerous rounds and I think they're at the end of their uh, sort of fertility IVF journey let's say um but she said we're very very close as a couple which is wonderful um to hear because you know I'm sure it can it can break it can break some couples as well um yeah, yeah. and and likewise if you're going through it as a, in, a, in a solo journey you know um it can it, it can break other relationships that maybe you have with other family members who think why well, you know why on earth are they are they still going on and trying for this we're spending so much money or um supportive friends who just want the very best for you so i i do think um it's it, it's a very challenging journey and talking and supporting each other and not getting too bogged down in in the nitty-gritty of who wants what i, I think i think it's really important no, I think you touched on a really important point there. And um, as as you've said, so many people will have different, based on health behaviour, will have different approaches to their health, their their fertility, and 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 particularly fertility difficulties. And um, I certainly, as as a fertility specialist, have have certainly found that the, the couples that, um, that 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 will or, or individuals that that have a good support network, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be um, necessarily talking to friends and family, but having someone that they can kind of discuss and talk to it about uh, about the issues does really help them. I think going through what is uh, you know 
a, a course of hurdles. It is it is it is incredibly difficult. It's incredibly long. It, it requires a lot of um, resilience, I think, to keep going. Um, particularly because the you know if we're if we're honest, um, most IVF cycles don't work. You know, overall, the vast majority of cycles will not work when you look at the odds, and therefore success rates are less than fifty percent. So that's um, that's something that not everyone always tells patients. I think, and um, or patients don't necessarily have that knowledge from the very very outset um but there's so much information out there as you've said and you've touched on there and there's so many different ways of getting information whether it's from clinic websites whether it's from blogs or forums or webinars we're in a world of social media as well now um which is why um when i knew that you were writing this book i wanted to get you on the podcast because total fertility is all about trying to make things easier for patients so that they can really get to really trusted expert resources easily quickly and to make the playing field easy to navigate so can i just dig in a little bit to your book because i think it's such a, a wonderful resource for anyone going through fertility treatment whatever stage they're at obviously you're a science journalist but can you tell me a little bit about the book how you structured it and why you wrote it because anyone that's ever written a book knows it's it's just, it's not a small undertaking writing a book um you've written it so beautifully with not just your own <laughs> personal experiences but experts but you've really dug into the science too the reason I wrote the book was we just felt so incredibly lucky and grateful to have had our two girls that I I just felt like I want to give this chance um, to another person or family. Um, and people were constantly asking me for bits of advice. Um, and I just thought, right, this source wasn't out there for me. I'm going to create a kind of a handbook, like a how-to guide to understand the process, which can all be a bit overwhelming. And, you know, you're always sifting through confusing, contradictory, whether it's clinic leaflets, websites, well-meaning blogs, and so on. Um, you're looking at a lot of jargon, you know, just the acronym sort of IVF, ICSI, IUI, glue, hatching, scratch. I mean, all <laughs> those on. words. It goes on. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's it, well, exactly. It goes on and on. And for, and for you, Ed, as a specialist, you know, you've been working in this industry for years, so it's not overwhelming. But for me, even coming in as a science journalist who's used to scientific jargon, you know, you're kind of thinking, God, what was that? And how's that different, you know, from that? And I wanted something that could kind of, help people understand also the emotional roller coaster that you're going to mm. go through and prep you prep for everything you um if you're going through it alone or your partner or a loved one might go through and so i kind of wanted to amalgamate everything into yeah just like a handy guide mm. and i i split it all down into um into different chapters so one on conception why you might not be conceiving reasons you might be struggling to have a baby age lifestyle um with gp advice etc um and then i looked at how does ivf actually work you know this kind of like a step-by-step -step guide on what to expect um and i think this is such a a, a classic you, you know people read about ivf or they hear about ICSI or they go to their first consultation um, and they hear about this name of that drug and so on and so forth. And I really wanted, I mean, that's one of the longest chapters yeah. is 
say, okay, this is basically what you're go- you will probably go through. It will vary according to, um, you know, your situation, your background and what, 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 what your challenge is or um, whatever it is that, you know, your, your situation. Um, but I, I wanted to kind of explain it in clear language because even when I was going through it myself, Half the time, you know, you're dealing with ordinary life as well. So you're sort of thinking, oh, God, right, okay, I know I'm, I'm setting alarms for this and that, for this drug I need to take then. And blah, blah, blah. And I just don't think people understand the complexity of what, what you're going to go through. So I felt like if I laid it all out, literally step by step, dig, 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 um, that hopefully that would help people. Um, I did another chapter on how to choose a clinic. So the factors you need to consider from... Um, simple things like, you know, how close is the clinic to your workplace? I mean, it's a bit different now we're in COVID pandemic times, but, you know, if you've got to go to a number of appointments, you don't want to be traveling for two hours to get to that clinic. Um, Or, you know, what's everything going to cost? And you hear about, um, uh, you know, lots of people have heard about these add-ons, you know, these extra treatments that you can um, engage in if you want to that can cost more um, what's the science say about whether they're worth investing in or not um, and where are they what stage are they at in terms of the research that's being done on them um, yeah I mentioned costs there I mentioned locality services um, you know success rates and so on and not being necessarily um, obsessed with success rates of say you go to a smaller clinic you know a smaller clinic and their success rate suddenly drops slightly in in a year um you know that could be skewed slightly by the fact of just the number of uh, number of patients and number of live births whereas a larger clinic might have the same drop but it wouldn't impact their uh, success rates to the same so uh, and that's something that the hfea is really clear about you know don't get obsessed by success rates um so there are lots and lots of factors of how to choose the clinic that's right for you as well. And I think that's really important. And you may not get a choice, you know, um, around the UK, it does vary um, uh, in terms of who can um, get a round or a couple of rounds um, free treatment on the NHS. Um some areas that doesn't exist at all but um, generally it's about one it's a bit of a postcode lottery it's it's something that's not fair and it's um, I know it's being looked at Um, but uh, you know you may have the chance to choose the clinic even if you're going through the NHS um, route and I think it's really important to understand what clinic is right for you is, 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 is really key um, then I did a chapter on donation, you know, what's involved. Many people are using donors, whether that's sperm, eggs, embryos, the legal issues. I And I interviewed a lot of experts, um, uh, you know, a family lawyer for that, um, because it's, there's a real, yeah, it's a specialism nowadays because mm. there's so many people um, using uh, donors. Then I looked at freezing and um you know, how that works for embryos, eggs, sperm, the costs, success rates, legal issues again, when and when when to freeze eggs. You know, it's, it's something that I think the next generation will potentially be um, considering at a much younger age. And it's something that I it wasn't even on my radar um, when I was younger, that there would be the potential to freeze eggs. And it might be a worthwhile thing if, you know, you're busy with your career and so on. Um, and... Uh, now 
I, I'll be quite honest, I think probably I would when my girls get to an age, if I feel like they're, they're not, um, you know, they haven't met someone or aren't on the, um, at that stage in their life yet, I, I would, I would encourage it just because what I've been through. Um, so yes, cover all that sort of stuff. And then crucially, I, I do a whole chapter on, um, when IVF doesn't work, and it's a horrible thing, you know, it's kind of the chapter that no one wants to read, um, but it actually could be really helpful to help you deal with, um, like you said, Ed, you know, a, a vast majority of times, sadly, um, IVF, and I'm referring to IVF to cover ICSI as well, and all the other uh, fertility treatments, mm. it doesn't work. Mm. Um, and I think it's something like uh, the average birth rate per embryo transferred um, for all IVF patients uh, it works 23% of the time. Now that's for all all ages. Mm. I think women under 35, it's it's about 31%, so it's higher. higher. And these were figures that the HFEA released in 2018. And I'm sure, you know, there are all sorts of different figures that are banded around, but um, th that's the reality. It's quite it's quite a depressing statistic, isn't it? It's it's for people going on this journey. It's it is the reality of it, yeah. and there is a. I mean, I think I think of all of the chapters in the book, I think that's probably one of the most crucial, I think, that you have written as well. Because, as you say, you're getting involved with a treatment that doesn't have a guarantee to it. Um, and there aren't many things in medicine that, that yeah. have quite that level of, of success. If I if I brought you in to have your appendix out, I said there's about a 30% chance I'll take it out. There's a 70% chance I will leave it behind. Yeah. I think most <laughs> patients would say, well, thanks very much. I, I might not do that. Um, but fertility but, has such emotional yeah. attachment as well. So um, that chapter, was, was, it, was it quite emotional writing it? It really was because, so basically... Um, I had one failed round, so we were incredibly lucky. It worked first time, the first round we did, um, with, and had my first daughter, and then um, tried again, and it didn't work first time um, this, this on that second round. And it sounds ridiculous, and I, you know, I, I've interviewed counsellors who say it's not a ridiculous thing to feel devastated when uh, you've already got a child, but you desperately want a sibling for them. And um, it sounds, yeah, it sounds very greedy, um, but I was, I was absolutely devastated. So I could sort of draw on that. Then we were very fortunate that a frozen embryo, it did work. Um, basically, we would, you know, we didn't have any money left after that. So we wouldn't have been able to keep trying and trying. Um, but I could sort of draw on that. But then I interviewed um, uh, a number of different people who it, it has never worked for. And they are now slightly older and they've moved on and they've written books about it um and uh, so one of them jessica hepburn who's she's the author of the pursuit of motherhood and various other books and she founded fertility fest and she said um you know she thinks there's not enough as you were saying it there's not enough um understanding out there from patients about the success rates and um she said what decisions you might need to make and when um now uh, to clarify on that she's basically meaning you know um if you're being told by a clinic in your early 40s to freeze eggs you, you they may not be advised well I, I don't know it, it, everyone's different but you know the reality is you, those eggs will not be no. um as robust as when you were in your 20 late 20 you know 20s 30s um so that's maybe not the best advice and what they the clinic should be advising is well maybe you should think if you've only got a certain amount of money try a donor egg um to start with so it's it's little things like that that 
these people have been through um, themselves. She was very honest and open and she spent tens of thousands of pounds on fertility treatment um, and it didn't work. But it's then how have people found, you know, how have they moved on from that? How have they gone through the grieving process of not going to have a family? And I interviewed another lady, Leslie Pine, who's, you know, is very open about she's found joy again in her life and it took time, but um, that's wonderful. Uh, so I, I think you're absolutely right. That was a really emotional but very important chapter to write because so many of us will go through that in some shape or form at some way. And I, I would also say I interviewed um, a number of guys for this uh, for this book as well because uh, you know male infertility is um, is a huge issue as well. And and um, a number of the guys I, I think would be very honest in saying you know we guys generally maybe don't talk as much with mates or with family about about these issues and so I think it's really important that there's um literature for them to 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 find things out yeah it's such a wonderful book and it has so many different areas no matter what your knowledge I mean as as you said there a doctor that's myself who's been doing this specialty for for almost 10 years now it's still something which I've read from start to finish and had I was really intrigued at the way you took really difficult subjects and made them really understandable and I think that's why it's such a useful resource for oh, anybody thanks. who's going through it so um yeah I mean was I've it been... interesting to see it from the patient's side as well absolutely um and um you know one of the things as specialists we, we spend a lot of time trying to, trying our very best to do is to communicate well and to try and make difficult things easy and i think some of us are better than others um, i've certainly missed the face-to-face -face during lockdown of being able to sit with patients and i like to draw pictures because i think you can a lot of picture they say a picture speaks a thousand words doesn't it but you could really i think help patients to understand concepts of of what you're trying to talk to them about with with um adjuncts and we've sort of lost that through virtual consultations a little bit but um but no, I love the way the book sort of goes from core science, difficult concepts, core science, patients' perspectives, experts' perspectives, and covers sort of all areas, as well as the future of IVF, which you touch on towards the end of the book, don't you? And where is this specialty heading? Yeah. Um, and it is it is a minefield for, for, for many people starting out. And I think what I've certainly seen over the years in, in, in the clinics and with the many patients I've looked after is that I think that patient for the very first time is a little bit vulnerable because they do trust the specialist to, to, to be absolutely their, their guardian angel. But as, as cycles maybe don't work or they progress through, suddenly more and more questions are answered, um, uh, are asked and, and hopefully answered by, by, by the doctors and the fertility nurses and the specialists in the clinics. But I think for me, this, this book's great because I think it allows people starting out right at the very beginning to just dip in and out of it. And it's like a sort of handy manual, as you say. So um, wonderful that you've Yeah, we it. tried to sort of break it down as well. Uh, you know, I tried to, and worked with my publisher on making it very, like you say, dip in and out. So it's, it, there are boxes, there are bullet points, there are it, it, timelines, you know, little flow charts of this is what's going to happen to you. It's on one page. If you don't read anything else, you know, this is probably as a uh, typical heterosexual couple going through fertility treatment, this is probably what you, you'll go through. Mm. Um, because I, I, that's, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because I've um, lent the book to friends who are going through IVF and, you know, often they're very honest and say, I'm really busy with work or I have, you know, I, I just, I'm just not a reader. Um, and I'll say, well, look at page X, Y, and Z and go do that chapter and, and you're done. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's all you need to look at. Um, so we, we did try to make it, uh,
as accessible and dip in and out as, as possible no it's great and we'll obviously link to it in the show notes from the episode um uh, where people can buy it where people can look into 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 getting it and a little bit more about yourself as well uh, and how to connect with you through through your social media channels but um i'm going to ask you a really hard question now so you've written a huge book about a massive topic which is which has got <laughs> you know it could, we could we could talk all you know all, all, all for the next year about this but um what are your top tips i suppose for for people um start i think starting out really um as well as those that maybe are uh, yeah could you look at it from both sides people that are starting out because you've been in both those positions when you're starting out and and looking Mm. for what to do what are your top tips but also for those people that are almost feeling in with complete despair at a complete loss what would you say to them starting out top tips um i would say um everybody's body is different um uh, you know, in, un, unexplained infertility is uh, twenty. I think it's around twenty five percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, consultant can't tell you why um, you're not getting pregnant, and so just you know, don't expect the answer to necessarily be there, and don't expect just because your friends got pregnant through IVF that it's going to happen for you. You know, have have a certain amount of resilience ready for that. Um, uh, again, the reality that on average, you know, of, if we're looking at all ages and taking into account everything, only 23% of the time people actually, it's a successful live birth. It is higher for under 35s. Um, third top tip, understand a rough plan and a timetable of, of what you're going to be going through. Um, just that you're asking the right questions at the right time, you're asking for the right things at the right time if, it, if they're not offered to you so there are no surprises as well mm-hmm. and you're not you know it's quite a it is an emotional roller coaster that you're going through and it's it's quite a an intense process and so you know just being ready emotionally for, for everything I think I think it's really important um, making the right choice at the right time I you know I mentioned it there before but you know if you're over 40 if um, maybe consider using a a donor egg if you're a female over 40 um and making the right choice for you and your situation in terms of you know how much money have you got if someone's suggesting you have five different add-ons each are going to cost about 250 quid um or maybe 500 or maybe you know maybe it's going to rack up to another three grand maybe you'd do better um to keep that money in hand in case it doesn't work first time and you need to use a frozen embryo if you're lucky to have one and so it's, it's about making the right choices and being informed as best you can and then finally uh, when you're sort of starting out you know don't make massive changes to your life um in terms of don't personally um from talking to experts don't suddenly give up work unless work is so stressful and so exhausting that you just can't cope or you know maybe you cut down to part-time if possible and so on but carry on with life as normally as possible I think that's something that Max and I very much did was we still kept doing all the stuff we really enjoy but we just tailored it down a bit so that my body had a chance to to just be and give itself the best chance um but not I think it can be, I think it could be a a huge danger that you literally stop everything else in your life and then that's all you're focused on and you 
un, very understandably become obsessed by it. I became a bit obsessed by it, and yet I very much tried to carry on with with life as normal um, as much as possible, but just in a in a in a sort of <laughs> realistic way in terms of energy levels and 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 you know all the appointments and everything you're going to go through and your body's going to go through and all the drugs you're taking and so on and so forth. Um, you, you know, it's 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 about that balance, isn't it? About that sort of keeping keeping your mind healthy as well as as well as your body. I mean, that's really interesting, Jenny. I mean, you've touched on so many important issues here during this podcast. What What would you say, though, to people who are really feeling complete despair and have just been doing IVF now nonstop and, um, but not getting success? What should they do? I think communication, uh, talking, whether that's to keep talking to your partner, um, if you have one, uh, or keep talking to family member or keep talking to... I think, you know, chatting to a counsellor mm-hmm. is invaluable. It, they're often offered as uh, attached to a clinic. Um, I often think with a counsellor as well, you know, they, they don't have any private agenda in your life when they're totally separate from your life, and that can be really healthy. Um, uh, the other thing I would say is, you know, it, it's quite a grueling process. So sometimes just stepping back and if you've had a failed round, just having a pause uh, in, and taking a break from it before, you know, I know what it's like when I fail an exam, I just want to go and take it straight away um, yeah. again and just prove myself that, you know, yeah. I can do this. But actually sometimes maybe your body needs a break, you mentally need a break um, and not just sort of jump cycle to cycle um, and, and, and rush on through it. And actually, funnily enough, a friend it literally recently said that's exactly the advice she was given by uh, her consultant is, you know, just just stop stop worrying a couple of months yes you're getting older but a couple of months isn't going to make a massive difference you know just step back just breathe just pause and and be ready for the you know that all-consuming next round and then finally it's something that a friend said to me um uh a number of times through the whole process because she'd been through ivf herself she said just be kind to yourself and that's a funny thing to say but we're always blaming ourselves for everything. Um, you know, it's it's me, I'm not getting pregnant. Or even if it's your partner's struggling with fertility issues, you know, I'm the one, um, if you're a woman, I'm the one carrying, you know, with the embryo and it's failed and it failed to implant, la, 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 la. Um, you know, just keep being kind to yourself and looking after yourself and realising that, uh, you know, none of us are perfect and no body is perfect. And, um, you know, you're absolutely doing the best you can um, and give yourself a break kind of thing. Wow. What a way to finish. Thanks, Jenny, for sharing your stories with us and taking time to write what, such an incredible book. Amazing. And so helpful, I think, for all those that have been listening to this. It's so hard to know where to get started sometimes, I think, with finding out reliable fertility information. And so many patients have said this to me over the many consultations I've done over the years because basically there's a lot of information out there. I think Jenny's book's a great place to start. And if you want to look into that, you can see more about it in the show notes. Now, next time we're going to be talking about a subject that we've all heard endlessly now for over a year. Yes, I'm afraid it is COVID. After what's been a destructive year for so many families and frustrating beyond belief for those struggling with their fertility we felt an episode addressing the core questions around the COVID-19 vaccination fertility and falling pregnant was really important Um, so we're going to be speaking to a real expert in the field Dr Ken Hodgson who is going to be making it all really easy to understand Um, 
So look, I hope you've really enjoyed tuning into this podcast. Uh, it's a first for us. Uh, we're learning as we go. Uh, if you want to find out more information about your fertility, do look at our pages on totalfertility.co.uk. And if you don't change anything after listening to Jenny today, remember, be kind to yourself. What great advice. Thanks for tuning in and we really look forward to having you with us again next time.